uh, who among us, who among us has not wanted to punch out the guy flying the airplane with you at the time? This is what I want. Well, especially on an Air France flight. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Okay. Burnside, B-U-R-N. <laughs> I didn't say that, folks. Uh, what is this story? Let's see here. This is from uh, Avweb. Uh, uh, pilots duke it out on Air France flight. This is a relatively terse story here, just two graphs, but two Air France pilots have been given a timeout by the airline after they came to blows in the cockpit in June. Details are scant, but the fracas fracas, fracas, uh, occurred during the short hop uh, from Geneva to Paris. Uh, Let's see now. Uh, the, The Switzerland's La Tribune was the first to report that the pilots started arguing shortly after takeoff and they grabbed each other by the collars and at least one punch was thrown. The, the part of the story, I, so, so like I said, I mean, really, I, no, I've never wanted to punch out anybody that's on board the airplane with me, but I've definitely, you know, deadly, I don't know, you know, assault-filled looks have been been probably <laughs> traded. Um, but uh, uh, the, the, the part of the story that kind of caught my attention is that um, the se- beginning of the second graph says members of the cabin crew broke them up, all right, which suggests that members of the cabin crew have easy access to the flight deck. Is that true on French airliners? S- certainly wouldn't be true on a U.S. airliner. Don't know. Um, Don't know. It says one of them chaperones pilots. So I uh, just this is very well. I mean, you, it, here's. One of the details I'd like to know a little bit more about here: Did they were they both out of their seats, or were they doing this across, <laughs> across the cockpit over the center console? Well, and I, what aircraft type was? I, it? I, yeah, I really wanted to know the aircraft type, and it doesn't appear to be indicated listed well, in this little. And, and what is the Overton window with, <laughs> with respect to what the what the French will beat each other for, or, or engage in lapel grabbing in a cockpit? Yes, yes, and and how how lo- how uh, how many times has that window been moved? <laughs> right okay. on that flight. On that flight, yeah. <laughs> Is it family? Is it cheese? Is yeah, it... It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking at the original ABC story on this, and it doesn't seem to uh, tell us what aircraft type it was. I'm looking. Um, it's you know and the fact that bea issued a report um um oh good they did a safety audit (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) what what do you do if you're the if you're the chief pilot or 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 you know uh you know check airman examiner for the airline i mean that's just there there's that's never a good day yeah yeah well i mean the other thing going on here too is okay so cabin crew had to get into the cockpit um so what are the people in row one thinking uh, <laughs> while they while this is going on yeah and and uh are they french <sighs> okay yeah, you know, that could over to windows again i'm sorry <laughs> that's, that's, you could add, you could be well answering the question yeah there, okay uh with that but uh i you know we, we last I think last episode we talked about positive exchange of controls. <laughs> well, here we, here we go. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's got to have been across the, the center of console, right? I mean, they, they're not going to both leave the, I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. That's what I want to know. I, you know, did, did they stand up and start duking it out? Yeah. Well, um, the story's well, by well, George. This is a Russ Nile story. So you're pals with these guys. Give Russ well, a call and get us, get the, get the, the, for <laughs> us. All right. And report back, Jeb. Okay. That's your homework. No well, silence. I, I, I know Crickets. Russ. I know. No, no. I, I know Russ, and, and I'm sure he'd, he'd be responsive. But I think he probably put everything into the piece that he already had. I would imagine that's true. And, and moved on. I'm, and I'm looking at the Air France story, and they say something about BEA, the the uh, French uh, uh, version of NTSB. Um, but it really didn't have anything to do with this uh, episode. But anyway, I've just you know, there's so many questions. So many questions. So many questions. So little time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the the ABC story is a lot longer, but it's also, as you said, doesn't seem to say what kind of aircraft it was. And that's not an ABC News priority. They don't. They're not pilots. Yes, so. that's right. Anyways, all right. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, Let this be a lesson to uh, all of us in the cockpits. Uh, I, I. Yeah. Uh, what's I the call, lesson? I, yeah. 
I don't know. Uh, have, have cabin crew separate you two. You know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah, a timeout. You're going to give you a timeout and uh, go back into the baggage area and just sit for a while. Think about yeah. what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome, folks. And, and, and when you're ready to play nice, you can come back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, beautiful downtown Dover, New Hampshire, uh, where uh, I don't know what to say about it. It's beautiful here. It's fall. Um, it's actually starting to get chilly in the morning. It's like the last couple of mornings, it's, it's too early to turn on the heat, even here, but uh, it's, it's starting to get a little chilly. So summer is, although, you know, then we have other parts of the country where it's crazy warm. And, uh, um, and uh, let's, check our, let's check weather reports from around America right now by saying uh, hi to my two good friends here in the virtual hangar. Coming to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida is Jeb Burnside. How you doing, Jeb? What's going on down there? I'm well. I'm well. i uh, enjoying my Thursday. It's raining. We have something going on out in the Gulf that's pumping some moisture um, in over the peninsula mm-hmm. here, and um, um, it looks like it's going to continue. You might hear it um, uh, as we as we continue uh, okay. this, recording this episode, but uh, it's um, it looks like the the worst of it is already past us. Um, at least the the the, the the dark red and magenta stuff. The stuff uh, uh, behind it is mostly just yellow and green. Okay, so all right. Knock, knock wood. Uh, we'll, we're past the worst. All right, of it. yeah. It's going gonna, gonna to continue for a few hours. Yeah, because we don't want it rain too hard on the alligators out back there. No, we can't do that. <laughs> Their skin might shrink, and that would just ruin the ruin the market. I, yeah, I've heard more. I've I've heard more. You, I've heard you reference your alligators more in the last couple months than I literally have in a couple of years. Really? Um, yeah. And I don't know if that's just because you happened to mention it to me. I didn't bring it up. Yeah, you did. One time we were talking on the telephone. No, 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 no. I didn't bring it up in this conversation. No, you didn't. But uh, okay. uh, we had a conversation. That's, that's true. We had another conversation sometime recently. I forget what it was. I don't think it was the podcast. We were just chatting. We are. And you suddenly went, an alligator just walked past my backyard. And then a couple of weeks ago, uh, which I think you actually did reference, you told a story later, retold the story on the podcast, but yeah, um, yeah. about an alligator that was hunting a bird in your backyard. Chasing birds, yeah. 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 And, and, and the bird was just laughing, out, you know. The bird was, hey, dude, I can fly. Hey, da, 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 da. Um, um, this particular alligator yeah. seems to be more aggressive than the, the average, um, oh, average okay. one. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm hoping he'll just go away. Uh, he'll, he'll outgrow uh, this territory and move on to a, a larger pond, as it were. Mm-hmm. But um, so far, not. Okay. Well, I wish you luck on that. Just use caution when you're riding the mower around the yard. Well, you know that's a that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a thing. And also but joining anyway. us, yeah, sure, yeah. No, also yeah. joining us here in the virtual hangar this time is a uh, is a, a longtime great friend of the podcast and friend of us is uh, from <laughs> what could I say? I don't know. Somewhere near the Detroit is it the Detroit River? Anyways, from somewhere near Detroit, Michigan, uh, is uh, is Steve Tupper. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? Hey, I am. I'm spectacular. Um, I'm just down from a flight. In fact, I am at Detroit City Airport, mm-hmm. um, and you know, f- found a really good Wi-Fi connection, and delighted to be talking to you guys. Yeah, truly, truly. Uh, we saw some some pictures earlier, some some images earlier of where you're sitting. Just tell us where you are. Tell, describe what what's what's around you. <laughs> um, the Tuskegee Airmen National Historical Museum uh, is based in Detroit. Um, the, most of the artifacts, the uniforms, the pictures and stuff like that is, uh, curated at the Charles H. Wright Museum, which is up close to Wayne State University. All of the air operations happen here at Detroit City Airport. It's the, if you're familiar with the airport, uh, they call this the bays. There are 14 high bays. We occupy like three and a half of them. I'm currently sitting in what's called the Rocket Lab, mm-hmm. um, which is where we, and a big focus of this is teaching kids, you know, making making Detroit area kids into commercial pilots that go on to fly for the airlines and the military. Mm-hmm. So in the 
the, the, the rocket lab is sort of a, a room within the hangar. I mean, it's a separate structure that's heated and cooled. But right outside the window here are four TG-7A motor gliders mm-hmm. that we fly around in formation. Other side of the wall from me is PT-13, PT-17, BT-13, and an AT-6G, um, as well as some other aircraft. And then Kitty Corner are the couple of Cessna 172s. There's a Cherokee 6, uh, late of the U.S. Forest Service, and a 1946 Aranka Chief, Ooh. among other cool stuff. So this is... I- the, the, Started flying here in just the motor gliders like 10 years ago, and since then have become uh, an instructor, a formation lead, and perhaps most notoriously the air boss for the show we put on over the Detroit River every year. Yes, and a little bit later on I want to ask you about that. But uh, but right now I wanted to know, uh, so I've known for years that you were involved with this uh, motor glider team um, uh, and, uh, and doing uh, uh, demonstration flights uh, for some time now. I confess that I've only recently tumbled to the fact that there is this museum, which sounds pretty cool. Is it open to the public? I mean, what is it? How? It, it, it is, and, and more so now the... It was in a building in Fort Wayne, which is to say historic Fort Wayne, um, which is a, a park to the south of town, uh, down what we call Downriver. Um, and it gets a little bit weird. We are actually north of Canada here. Um, but the two years ago, we moved a great deal of the memorabilia, the artifacts, and so on into the, the, the Charles H. Wright uh, Museum of Af- African-American History is uh, north of here, four, five, six miles, and uh, we have not a not a wing necessarily, but a substantial piece of real estate in the museum where that is now displayed. And so the the, the intermediate length answer to your question is yeah, the Charles H. Wright is open a whole bunch, um, less so the uh, the building in historic Fort Wayne. And then we do Young Eagles rides from April through October here where our ground school is in full swing and uh, we are we are making pilots. Yeah. It's, it is just gratifying as can be. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Um, you're also involved or are you still involved with uh, Civil Air Patrol? I, I am. Uh, you're, like I a, have... you're like a big dog. You're like, I don't know, a rear admiral or something like that, right? <laughs> I, I, I've been called that and worse, good sir. Um, the, at no, the... I'm sorry. I'm, it's, I, I admire CAP. No, 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 that... and, uh, and, but you are, a, you, 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 you make a pretty significant contribution to CAP, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to crow about that. No, I, I, pre, I appreciate it. And, and, and taken certainly in, in, the, in the spirit intended, Jack. The... Um, uh, Civil Air Patrol, as everybody knows or should know, is the auxiliary of the United States Air Force. Um, we do uh, operations like search and rescue with 550-plus uh, single-engine airplanes and, I believe, almost two dozen gliders, um, as well as uh, aerospace education and cadet programs. Um, I I sort of came up the route as a legal officer, what a lot of people would call a judge advocate, mm-hmm. um, and was recently posted at the region level, which is about six states and 6,000 airmen and 200 units. Um, I recently got a wild hair, and nobody talked me out of it. Uh, I put in for a wing commander uh, here in Michigan, which is, I want to say, 12 aircraft, 1,400 airmen, and you know it's the lower peninsula, the upper peninsula. Um, I, I aimed but missed... Uh, but was thought well enough of where I am now the vice commander of Michigan Wing of CAP. And this is in addition to I'm a Czech Airman examiner, mission pilot, Czech Airman, and do a fair amount of flying of our chunk of those 550 red, white, and blue airplanes. Cool. So I am, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, this is earned luck, but I'm very lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. That sounds great. Now, I was never in CAP. I'm just a civilian in this regard. Jeb was, I believe, right? Jeb was in CAP when he was younger. My question here is, does this mean that Jeb has to salute you? This is what I want to know. I I am no longer in, in the Civil Air Patrol, and I would be um, pleased to salute <laughs> Steve. Uh, only after a few beers. Uh, okay. All right. Well. All right. That can probably be arranged. Which is which can certainly be arranged. Yes, can and, oh yes. Yeah. Can yeah nothing. Nothing against his his admiralship in in this regard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we the, the the moment we take ourselves too seriously, 
and look, I, I love a flight suit to an unhealthy degree, but but try to you know take it with uh, with a grain of salt, and you know you, you'll go out and do really cool stuff. I mean, before a lot of my my you know contemporaries are out of bed, I have launched, and I'm heading for a whole point where I'm going to get intercepted by the F-16s from the 180th. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all I can do to not check on to the briefing call as red air. Um, I do not. I, we we I maintain that humility, but yeah, it's it's cool as can be. Salutes largely optional, and um, it's it's a great deal of fun. Cool, very cool. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Yeah, I, I um, you're absolutely right. I I did start out um, uh, literally learning to fly on a composite squadron um, back in the day. Um, we had a, a, a glut of airplanes in that squadron, but uh, down the road they started making us want to wear flight suits. And uh, even when we were on official or unofficial um, um, yeah. operation, and uh, I just kind of had to draw the line. Yeah, it wasn't your it was, thing. <laughs> wasn't really my thing. Yeah, no. no. Yeah. What was the uh, what was the pseudo Steve with a pseudo flight suit that you were given as a gift at one of the acro camps? Do you remember this? The, uh, yeah, well, no, it was it was, it was a, a snuggie. Snuggie, right? Yeah, snuggie. Uh, yes, was that with, blanket with arms thing. Only I think it was uh, Dave Allen arranged to get it printed with the uh, sim, some of some of the uh, you know badges and stuff of a uh, of a uh, Air Force I think flight suit right oh, oh full up uh, Air Force Thunderbirds patch and and everything yeah. I still have it cool I am I'm known occasionally to to uh, take rest under it very cool it, it, it gets cold in Michigan in the winter yeah right. it does yeah moving on to uh, a more generic uh, aviation news here actually a big piece of news in this past week um, we've talked to another man in recent episodes about the uh, about the gammy's um, uh, 100 low lead replacement that had been effectively completed but was for some reason being blocked by the federal government from being becoming uh, widely widely available and uh, and some of us were kind of pretty uh, pretty, uh, I don't know, cynical about when this was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, this got approved this past wait week. A wait a second. Cynical? Cynical? Yeah. <laughs> this, this industry? Cyn- cynical? Cynical about our federal government? No. Nah. Uh, so uh, uh, for what, whatever reason it was being blocked, it seemed to be being blocked. And, and then all of a sudden, and it took everybody in the industry, it seems, by surprise. Um, Jeb, what, what's your, your, you know, I mean, you, you seemed surprised, Jeb. Were you surprised when this? Uh, I, w- I was surprised. We, you and I compared notes, you know, afterward and, and, you know, was there some, some, um, event or events that, uh, pushed this over the top and, and I don't know of anything. We both speculated a little bit. There had been a congressional hearing a week or so before this, this, uh, action, uh, which, um, you know, at, at which Brawley and a uh, representative from Swift Fuels testified. Um, the hearing, um, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't there. I haven't read the transcripts, yada, yada. But no one from EPA or FAA apparently attended, or I'm sure there were FAA types there, but they didn't um, um, testify mm-hmm. at the hearing. Mm-hmm. And that, they caught some flack for that, and I think their uh, lack of participation um, was kind of a glaring, uh, it was like a nail sticking up out of a board. It had to be hammered down. So I don't know what went on behind the scenes after the hearing, uh, but I suspect someone got, you know, a wake-up call at FAA. I don't, I'm just speculating. I have no idea. Uh, there's a, a number of other things that have occurred or may have occurred that might be ongoing that we don't know about that, that worked to push this over the top, but let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now having said all this, I mean, this was a big, big barrier to have overcome, to remove, to to clear it, whatever, but there's still a lot of work to be done to make this fuel widely available. This is the regulatory paperwork hurdle. There's all kinds of real world hurdles still out there. Um, to come up and uh, um, you and I again have talked offline and uh, we're talking about getting George Brawley on the on the podcast yeah. in, a, in a few weeks in a few days yeah 
Um, and we're still going to do that. I just haven't reached out to him. Yeah, I'm no, sure. we'll wait until you know, things yeah, calm we'll, we'll down do a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, that's the thing, you know, and the more we wait, the more answers we'll have. Yeah. So it is what it is. Yeah. Steven, do you have any, uh, any perspective on this new fuel and how it might? Yeah, I'm, I'm as, I'm excited as can be about it. I mean, I, I really didn't pay much attention to lead in the environment until the first, uh, reboot of the Cosmos series. Cause there's a whole episode, um, uh, about that and how we got to unleaded fuels mm-hmm. and, and so on. Of course, I live relatively near Flint, Michigan, um, where we know lots about lead in the water. Right. Um, if we can reduce it, that's great. I'm delighted. And, you know, I, I will put it in our tomahawk um, the moment that I, that I see it's available and I can actually buy it. Um, I spent a lot of time behind uh, O235 engines. Mm-hmm. and lead fouling on the bottom plugs is is a thing you cannot lean it on the ground enough to prevent that lead fouling just having that problem go away is mm-hmm. is going to thrill me or yeah. or at least lessen to some extent yeah yeah and and, and the idea that you, you got a half tank of 100 low lead you can put the new unleaded and you can mix match and it all apparently works mm-hmm yeah yeah that's a big deal that's, that is not only yeah. not only in the, the airplane tank but in the the storage tank the tank from which the fuel's pumped um it can be mixed yeah i hadn't um, even thought of that yeah you know you, you can get a get a half load or something like that in your on your 100 low lead tank and it's going to be ul and okay you're still going to have to have the stc i think but um that that's a that's a problem that's going to have to get worked out or not so much a problem, but yeah. a, a, uh, a consideration. Um, at some point, 100 little is just going to go away, or at least go away from some airports. And uh, if you're on a cross-country or something, uh, and you land and all they have is UL and not LL, uh, you'll have to have the, you'll have to have the paperwork to get going. Right. Uh, they'll they'll make that uh, as seamless as they can. And, and that's still. yeah, and that's the thing. I think I, I've said this to a couple of you, you, Jeb, as well as some others. I've been talking to this about talking to about this. Um, and and you know, some people have said you know because of the, we've known for some time now that adding another fuel to the inventory of especially the small mom and pop FBOs is is a real problematic thing. They just don't have the facilities to 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 you know to. Uh, store another fuel at the airport and some people have said well you know you just mix it in with the 100 low lead you know which scientifically you can do that the problem is that then you don't have any 100 low lead to pump to people who need 100 low lead still um and so i don't think they're going to be quick to mix it in in the storage yeah. tanks yeah i agree um, um the the best solution would be uh some fuel trucks yeah and I bet a lot of places do that. They find yeah, a they yeah. find a just barely legal um, fuel truck, um, mm-hmm. and and that's their, you know. And initially that's, that'll be the that'll be the UL tank yeah. tank. That, and but they, that's not going to help the the self serve situation. Well, no, that's true too. Yeah. So, anyways, this is a great step forward, um, and uh, and we should all be uh, kind of you know having a making a friendly visit to our local FBO, saying I'm ready to buy the stuff. You know, let's go. Um, let them know that, that this is a real thing to us too. So, uh, very yeah. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, and I have to, you know, take a moment here and genuflect towards Ada, Oklahoma and point out, uh, um, that, uh, GAMI and, and their staff and their, their brain trust, uh, um, have come a long, long way. This has been 12 years or so in the making. Yeah. They really and, hung in uh, there, didn't they? Yeah, they really did. And, uh, navigated admirably navigated. Uh, uh, the, the bureaucratic labyrinth, bureaucratic maze, uh, not just uh, recently, but uh, also with the old, uh, uh, I forget what the acronym was, there was a, a program at, at the FAA back in the day, well, back in the day, uh, early teams got kicked off and, and went nowhere, fell flat on its face and, and fell apart, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, four or five years ago. Um, but uh, <clears throat> They, they successfully navigated all of that, uh, all the while, you know, the technology, their, their, their formulation, their testing, all of that has been sound, is, and FAA's finally recognized all that. So yeah. that's off to this guy. Yeah, ha- absolutely. Well, the, the, yeah. The, Go ahead, Steve. The, the, the thing I'm, the other thing that, that is of, of minor concern, maybe major concern, is the willingness of the GA population to, for uptake. Yes. Um, is there suspicion of, is this 
really not going to toast my engine or uh, or things like that. And I, I wish I had a uh, I wish I had a more positive feeling toward um, the you know the, the the GA pilot and aircraft owner uh, community. I, I hope I am I am wrong about that, uh, but I, I think that is also going to be an important thing. Yes, yeah, I agree. it's going to be a process. I mean, I've compared it to the 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 process we went through a bunch of years ago when we got rid of leaded fuel for cars, um, and there was a whole you know inter uh, interregnum. That's not the right word, but you get the idea. Um, there was a period of time when there was both, and there was a period of time we were trying to convince people, and there was a period of time, you know, and 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 now you have to stop and remember. Oh yeah, once upon a time there was leaded fuel for cars, um, but it's gone now. So, anyways, good deal. Good deal. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, I've, I've, I've heard from a number of people who said basically what you said, Steve, which is I'm ready to put it in my airplane the moment it's available. Um, and so I think that's how the uptake is going to move forward is that, uh, those who are, are, are confident and excited are going to do it and then tell their friends and, and eventually the word will get around, you know, so, and quite frankly, hundred there is, there's a day in the future when hundred low lead becomes against the law. Um, and, and that of course will be the final straw or or just simply unavailable. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are we going to turn it a color? That's, that was my last question here. Uh, Jeb, you and I talked about this and you said you hadn't heard that there wasn't a color. Um, the, the, uh, the, uh, AvWeb story that we've been seeing has a, has a piece of art with it that might be just invented for a colorful piece of art, but it shows three containers, one with blue fuel, which of course is low lead, hundred low lead. One with yellow fuel, which at least symbolically placeholder in this image is the UL, is the is the G100 UL, and in the middle is a container with green fuel. All right, and that's presumably what the fuel would look like when you've got half hmm. low lead and half unleaded UL in your tank. Um, so the G G100 UL is going to look like beer <laughs> or something <laughs> or something yes right thank you uh well my, my only concern is if it i mean we all know what liquid is straw colored right yes exactly and 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 i, I just want to now i i think the chances are not huge that you know we're going to have an increase in people putting jet a and tomahawks but um I also understand there's only so many colors that really dilute in, <laughs> yeah, in yeah, a gasoline right, yeah. that, that make it work that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, yeah. and green is already taken, is it not? Green is already taken with, with 100, 130. Red is already taken with 80-87. Now, do we – I just don't know. I think – I don't know. I, I just don't know if, if any of those fuels are still in production anywhere in the world. Well, that's the question, right? I don't, yep. can, is, is 80 really available anywhere? It was in, I, in the I earliest days when I was learning how to fly, you could still get 80 and somewhere along yeah. the line, it just plain disappeared. I don't think I've seen an 80 fuel pump in forever. It disappeared with what, with 100, 130. Uh, there was also a, a 115, 145 that was purple. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, all that's, all that's gone by the wayside. We all, we're stuck with, uh, with uh, blue hundred low lead, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. You mix blue and, and yellow, and you get green. And uh, okay, okay. Um, I don't know. I was just I don't know what I don't know. The, I don't know. I'm just kind of making the, this up uh, as I go along. Uh, the, the jet fuel, of course, um, is a lot more oily, and uh, that will be one of the ways you can tell if you if you're really scratching your head about some yeah. of this, and you get a mixed color in your fuel. You know, well, what what do I do here? And you put a little bit on a paper towel, see if it evaporates. If it feels oily and it doesn't evaporate, bingo, you got some jet fuel and a right. whole other set of problems. Yeah, that's yes, yeah. So, all right, cool. A um, little bit of a shout out here. Uh, we uh, Jeb and I, and I believe Steve, you didn't make it to Air Venture this year either. Um, but one of the really cool things that happened at Air Venture this year was the third edition of the One Week Wonder uh, program, where they they built an airplane, uh, a kit airplane, uh, from scratch in seven days, um, and uh, they built a, a Sonosonics uh, YX this time um, and finished it to the point where it was able to taxi under its own power, which is usually their goal uh, by the end of the day on Sunday at the end of the show. Um, and then since then, uh, as, as always is the case or so far has been the case, they've had the first flight of, uh, of this aircraft now, um, a, uh, a, maybe a week ago now, 
they uh, let's see now again looking at a story from from avweb 2022 one week wonder completes first flight the experimental aircraft association's 2022 one week wonder has successfully completed its first flight the airplane all right come on get to the meat of it here uh they built it during this particular time. Uh, it was flown by June, Joe Norris, who, by the way, has been on this podcast. I don't know if you know. Mm-hmm. Do you know that, Jeb? I, I yeah. would have guessed at some point during our EAA. Probably. Yes, he's 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 joined Oshkosh, us a, a once or twice yeah. from while we were at Oshkosh. Yeah. Uh, anyways, he was the test pilot, and they flew it the other day, and uh, apparently all is well. So uh, very cool. Congratulations to them. Uh, congratulations to the entire uh, uh, team and, and volunteers and our good pal, Charlie Becker, who kind of rides herd on that whole project. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, I, I just think it's great. You know, um, Steve, did you have ever, ever visited Air Venture on one of the years when they were doing this, where you actually go in and pop a rivet and uh, get your name in the book and on the, on the fuselage? I, I both did that, and I heard your account of your doing so, Jack. Yeah. Which you know, they it it was it was cool. It was very busy when I walked by. I'm glad that people do that in full view of the aviation public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've long believed that I will either build or fly, just because of, of the time intensiveness and the idea of you know having the having the project not done. I don't think it's for me individually. But if nothing else, they're making informed fellow members of the GA community, frankly, informed voters. Yeah. You now have a stake in this thing. You're in this logbook. You're part of that 51% or, or more. Yeah. And, and that just makes me happy that people do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool concept, and uh, um, you know it's unfortunate. I don't know if unfortunate is the right word. Um, it, it takes so much out of the team that does it that it's not practical to do it every year. Um, but they've done it three times now since the first one, and uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll do it again in a few years, and that'll be cool. Yeah. Um, so congratulations to Charlie and that whole team for uh, first flight. Now they're going to paint it, and uh, and uh, it'll go on tour all around the country, like the others did. Probably still do. Probably still do. Probably still do. If they they haven't fallen apart. Yeah. So I want to retell a story here. Um, Over the years, I've told this story many times, and and since Dave's passing, I've told it a couple times again. Um, This is the story of the first year we went back to Air Venture um, after starting the podcast and how Dave was standing out on the ramp or out in public chatting with someone, and a stranger heard his voice, recognized his voice from, from the podcast, came up and said hello, and although David was very friendly at the time, he was later he later confessed to be horrified by being so recognizable. All right. The part of this story that I've always left out for various reasons, all right, is who that listener was, because I was pretty sure I knew who the listener was. Uh, Steve, that was you, wasn't it? It was indeed me. It was you. Uh, it was, and as a matter of fact, it was five. Was five years old. Yeah, uh, five. By the way, is is, is Nicholas, my son. Yeah. Uh, his call sign is five. That's what we call him at home, etc. But yeah, it was his first year there. He's five years old. We just gotten through a thunderstorm out in Scholar. Arrived late in the day, and this is our first real first full day at Oshkosh, and we decided to go try to find these uncontrolled airspace people. And Dave was outside taking a break, and Aeroshell was performing across the way, and he spoke, uh, and he said, pardon me, sir, are you Dave Higdon? And, and he was visibly, um, uh, bothered's not the right word, taken aback isn't the right word, but he was not entirely comfortable with it either. Yeah. I think Dave was an extraordinarily humble guy, um, and that made him a little bit uncomfortable, for which I felt bad, and then we didn't feel bad about it anymore because yeah, okay. then we, he, he dragged us in and we got to go meet you, you two guys. You're the one you're the, so you're the one who, who thought, Dave, thought of Dave as being humble, huh? Okay. I, I figured there had yes, to be something. Yes, indeed. No, no. Well, I mean, I, yeah, he, to a certain extent it was that, um, I, I, this is the part I've also told this part of the story. The, one of the things that troubled him about that, and it wasn't you personally, Steve, um, it, it, at, at the time, uh, Dave was, was, was in a, had kind of, come through a part of his career where he was a bit of an investigative journalist and the ability to kind of sneak around to not be visually or, or orally uh, identifiable was he judged to be an important part of his skill set of his, of his toolbox um, as a journalist. 
And, uh, and the idea that he would be recognized, he came to me later on and he was shaken. He was, he says, I, I'm not, I got to quit. I can't do this. I can't be, <laughs> no day. It's going to be fine. But he was, he was, uh, well, I can, I can tell you, he got, he got over that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah, eight or 10 years later, Dave literally crawled across my lap to get to Kermit Weeks. Um, they were, we're, we're sitting really? around waiting for like an exhibit hall to open yeah. and, I just happened to be sitting there and was about to strike up a conversation. And Dave can cannot be blamed for not having recognized me at the time, but Kermit Weeks is, of course, recognizable. And and like the, the it was standing room only. We're sort of sitting on this little like planter thing up against the wall. And you know, hey, there's a Higdon, and now he's picking Kermit Weeks's brain, which is a perfectly appropriate thing for Dave to do at a, an event like that. Oh yeah, Dave. Dave was a schmoozer par excellence. He uh, he 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 could chat up anybody, and and as a result, everybody knew who Dave was. And uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Um, another important part of his toolbox. So, uh, anyways, yeah. So you were the person. You were the one who recognized him. That that almost oh. caught you were almost oh. responsible for Dave Higdon quitting podcasts before they hardly got started okay, we could, I, I i have that honor both for better and for worse i was gonna say we could have stopped this thing at episode i know really we could have just know. just just avoided a whole lot of uh yeah. at, something at, at the at the risk of going all saturday night live star trek skit on you you guys kind of hit your stride at episode 11 and i'm not kidding i do remember looking at the episode number and going okay this has just gelled this is going to be great uh, uh what was uh now I, now you've got me looking here i'm sorry i gotta find out i gotta refresh my memory we'll do that episode yeah, we'll do 11 that. it's not even so much the subject matter it's just that the 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 triangle of um of discussion the roles you play um the characters up against the wall in bill and ted's excellent adventure you mm-hmm. sort of became that and gelled and i've always thought that was yeah just the coolest thing to hear well, that's thank you um yeah Thank you um, very much, Jane. You ignorant slut. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, ex- I'm looking at the show notes from episode 11 here. James was with us that time too. So, uh, um, is this this wasn't the one where Dave was in the hospital, was it? I don't think so. We did. Oh, I hope I have the the, ep- the episode number right. I don't know. I don't know. In any event, no. I I thank you. I appreciate that. It's very kind of you to say that. I I acknowledge that it, it's really interesting to go back and listen to episode one of Uncontrolled Airspace because we were just so almost timid. You know, not timid. We were we you know we didn't know what how how this was supposed to sound or you know and so we were basically doing I don't know you know some sort of talk show that we had heard somewhere someplace and uh, and very serious about it too you know and uh, yeah as as the early episodes and it didn't take us long to realize that we're we're going to have more fun with this and and we started doing that so uh yeah very cool very cool and uh you were one of the first people to reach out to us we uh i remember I, i'm not going to try and dig it out here but yeah we were early on we were you know you were actually an earlier podcaster than we were right airspeed started before us didn't it it, it did we, uh, i started april 2006 yeah okay so it's about then... four months before us so uh anybody who doesn't and and it, i mean everybody knows this about you steve but maybe they don't that you 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 were the the the, the you know the creator the founder the person behind um the airspeed on airspeed podcast which was terrific um and i'm sure still would be terrific terrific but you you know unlike us you didn't get bogged down in a rut and you just kind of moved on to well, other things um but uh um yeah, a, a a movie ate part of it, and in 2010, and then a couple of years later, uh, I had the opportunity to start flying for an air show team. Yeah, um, so that just sort of sucked up every spare moment, yeah. and and it, it it has it has worked out reasonably well. And I I put up a couple episodes at the beginning of the pandemic, um, on like you know glider flying in Namibia, where you know a the thousand kilometer flights are not. Uh, uh, are not rare, or at least not as rare as they would be here in the U.S. and, and things like that. But you know, it's something I keep my toes in. the 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 um um the feed is still active. All the episodes are still there. Yeah, tell it. What's the URL? Um, the website is airspeedonline.com. Okay. Great. And the you know it still shows up in whatever your your favorite. I think you were the one who got me using the term podcatcher. But yes. 
it is it is available out there. Possibly, possibly, yeah, very cool, very cool. So now the other thing I wanted to you you sort of alluded to this just now um, is uh, and I and you know I mean forget Rear Admiral, all right. I mean that's like nothing, all right. You are a genuine certified air air show air boss, right? I am. Yeah. What what is that? What does that really mean? Is that as cool as it sounds? You're one of the people who gets to stand on that on that platform out at the edge of the flight line and talk on the radio and and keep things moving or not moving as the case may be, right? Is that what it it it, it is nearly all upside. Yeah. Um, I became an air boss because that's what it would take in order for us to uh, get the waivers and do the kinds of things we wanted to do by putting an air show on over the Detroit River. Uh, second most complex airspace in North America. It's um, skyscrapers on one side, international border on the other, Class Bravo above, and uh, shipping lane below. But it you and it used to be you just raised your hand, and said, "Hey, I'm an air boss," and if you could talk to Fizdo into giving you a waiver of the twelve or so subsections of the FARs uh, that you would need to have waived to keep from going to jail, um, then you were an air boss. Um, ICAS and the FAA, the International Council of Air Shows, ICAS, and the FAA came up with an Airboss recommendation program in 2019, effective beginning in 2020. And now, technically, the feds are not supposed to accept an application for waiver from your organization unless it is signed by a boss that holds an appropriate letter of authorization. Mm, So it's... Okay. um, It's... And, you know, just getting to do this stuff, working with the FISDO, I've added one additional show, the Oakland County International Airport Open House, um, that needed a boss. And I'm what's called a recommended air boss single venue, which means I could I could host anybody I wanted. If the Detroit River, the you know, glacier came through, took out most of Windsor and made the river wide enough, I could boss a show where the Blues, the Thunderbirds, the Snowbirds, or, or whatnot were performing. Because it, so I'm, I'm a full-up recommended air boss, uh, the same as some of my heroes, in, for that, that venue and that venue only. And then I have what are called you know, standard or basic air boss privileges everywhere else. Hmm. So, so what is the, the downside, by the way, yeah. is that I have never actually flown my air show team's air show demo until two weeks ago because I'm always the guy in the orange shirt with a radio standing on the ground instead of up there, you know, with the team. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, you couldn't be the air boss from the cockpit, huh? You give you a great view of the, uh, of the space, wouldn't it? <laughs> if I could get the Red Bull helicopter, I would totally boss it from, from aloft. <laughs> yes. Um, I would totally do that. You know, I'm sure it would be an entire episode talking about what it's like to be an air boss at an air show, but can you give us a short version here? What, what are, what are some of the tasks, some of the, the, the activities that the air boss does and is responsible for? During you know we've all been to air shows we kind of know what we see as attendees. What what's the air boss's role in all that? Um, the the boss can have a like a huge role or 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 relatively narrow role. Obviously, the boss has to sign the seventy seven eleven dash two, the application for certificate of waiver waiver or authorization. And but by the way, um, pro tip: if you're trying to teach a kid the regulations, start at ninety one nine zero five. Most people never go there. That's the list of parts of uh, sections of Part 91 that can be waived. Um, so you might do something as simple as signing the waiver application. You show up Thursday night and then you control the airspace. You, you are not an air traffic controller. Air traffic controllers are very quick to remind you. Um, they don't even like to <laughs> you to use the word the c word. You can't say cleared. Ah, okay. But you also want to use pilot lingo because, you know, the performers, frankly, are pilots and that's what they're used to. Uh-huh. Um, I've keyed the mic as recently as like 30 days ago and said, it's okay with me if you land on runway 27 left. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, no, I get what you're saying. I, I, years and years ago, I was involved with a Young Eagle rally um, in there in California. And uh, I was at a, at a, a non-tower airport. Um, and we had a person on the ground, a pilot, but not an air traffic controller of any sort, a pilot on the ground talking on a handheld radio, just sort of 
and and we were trying to be very clear. You're you're giving advisories here, right? You're not controlling the airspace. You're not, you know, you're giving advisories just to kind of coordinate things and to be another set of eyes and that kind of thing. But it's very tempting to be a controller because we've all heard and worked with controllers, and you know, sometimes think we could do it better. Um, and uh, yeah, and and we kept trying to tell our people who are doing this, don't be a controller. You can't be a controller. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Well, all right, well, you, you could. You can do as little as uh, as that, or a lot of bosses do a consultative role, like designing the box. I mean, there hasn't been a civilian civilian fatality at a U.S. air show. I, I hasten to add, air shows are not air races. Uh, at a U.S. air show since 1956. Hmm. Um, and that's largely because of the things that the International Council for uh, uh, of Air Shows have done that's box geometry. It's why there are Cat 3, Cat 2, Cat 1 lines at 500, 1,000, and 1,500 feet away from the audience. Um, you you know, Tom Waits, I think, said, the large print giveth and the small print taketh away. You might get, you know, waived for surface aerobatics at a Class Delta airport, but that's also going to come with about 30 special provisions that you need to know that you must boss um, or excuse me, that you must brief all the performers on. You're the primary guy interacting with the feds because you all speak those, the same language. And, and huge shout out to the Michigan East FISDO because um, they are the easiest FISDO to work with. I don't care if it's 337s or, um, or air show waivers. Um, these guys really know what they're doing. They'll speak the language. They never give me everything I want but I always get everything I need. That's a, probably a pop song of some kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but really fortunate in that. Last thing I want to ask you about as far as the air sh- being an air boss is concerned, we've all, not all, but many of us, most of us, a lot of us have been to air shows where the air show had to pause momentarily because something like an airliner came or went um, or some other you know, non-air show traffic was 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 using the airport and so they've had to had to pause your air show you have to pause occasionally to let a boat go by is that right <laughs> yes how does that work yeah it's so your your um, air show is actually over the river and i and as i mentioned earlier over half the river because the middle of the river is the canadian border and you may not cross that line right um but so your 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 performers are performing over the river and the river occasionally has I guess it's freight traffic, right? How does that work? What goes on there? Yeah, there there are... Um, the, we had a shooting war with Ohio, is where this starts. Um, and <laughs> okay. Ohio... Yeah. And yeah. You, you, can, you can talk about your interstate rivalries, but we had a shooting war with Ohio um, over a piece of land called the Toledo Strip. The Ultimately, Michigan gave Ohio the Toledo Strip in exchange for its upper peninsula, which everybody thought was a raw deal until they found huge amounts of iron and copper. Hmm. Um, a great deal of the ship traffic that I need to worry about is, you know, folks coming with iron taconite and and things like that from way up there down the Detroit River and um, a place called Zug Island and the Rouge Steel Plant is where they turn that stuff into things that ultimately become cars. Yeah. Uh, the the good news is I take up three quarters of the river because I need all the way to the to the midpoint and, and the international border isn't always at the midpoint of the river. In my old box it was actually you know the, the river was wider and we got a little bit more than half. But I gotta I gotta have the whole US side and then I have to provide a five hundred foot standoff in Canada, which equates to that cat three line. Um, making sure that, you know, if if an airplane comes apart, there, there's some science behind it that a piece of the airplane is not going to make it past that hundred, that 500-foot line. Um, I get all that, and then there's actually enough room for one great big cargo ship to make it upriver or downriver in, you know, there's enough draft or whatever they call the depth of the river. Yeah. There's enough there, but if I get two of them, these things need, I think somebody told me, eight knots on the rudder or they're uncontrollable. Okay, yeah. So so it's like you you can't park an airplane in the sky. Yeah. You can't just park a ship. You really can't just drop anchor, especially if you're downbound uh, going with the current. Yeah. 
So we've got a guy up in, you know, the, the big hotel tower, the Renaissance Center, and boats actually have transponders as well. And they pass certain points like up at Sarnia or Lake St. Clair or Coast Guard Station, Belle Isle, and we know they're coming and can guesstimate it within about 15 minutes. And usually it'll be, um, we've got a phone line with uh, back at the ramp at Detroit City, say, hey, we need you to hold this act for another five minutes and then send them out. If somebody's in the box and we miscalculated, there's a couple of holds I can send the performer out to, and um, it, it all works really well. We actually have a water boss. I'm the air boss, but there's a guy who really knows um, uh, maritime stuff, uh, Brian Leslie, and he is actually our water boss, talks to the Coast Guard, PATCOM, and arranges all that stuff. Fascinating. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. This show has already happened this year, right? You did it a couple weeks ago, right? Um. The river days, again, did not happen. Um, ordinarily, it had been, if you're familiar with Detroit, a beam, the Renaissance Center, which is the, the General Motors corporate headquarters. And there is land to the east of that upriver that uh, the festival had been held on. The festival moved in 2019 to the Centennial Park, part of the Riverfront Conservancy, which is maybe four or 5,000 feet downriver. Mm-hmm. The, that's all torn up in construction. And in fact, I think they had to drop 200,000 bucks worth of wood chips uh, down there in 2019. Stuff you don't think about for air shows. They they had to dump 200,000 bucks worth of wood chips just to keep it from becoming a a muddy mess. But that is going to be the the, the place where we are going to be for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get the GM land this year. So this will be the third consecutive year we've not had the show. Um, but I have worked my hiney off to keep my air boss credentials current as a renewal year for me. So, um, and we hope to be back June 23rd through 25th of 2023. Very good. Cool. Very cool. You're very kind to ask and please pardon me running at the mouth about it, but I am so excited. There've been a couple times over the years that I have, I've, I've fantasized about coming out and seeing that show and it's not worked out yet, but one of these days I'm going to come and watch your show and I can turn to the guy next to me and say, I know the air boss. I know the air boss. <laughs> well, I, I can actually arrange for, I will put you to work, Jack, such that if you do that, I'll say, it will be me, and I'll say, Jack, shut up and watch for traffic. <laughs> okay. All right. It's a deal. You're on. And, and I, I, I crave having that opportunity. <laughs> Jeb, Jeb, you're welcome as well. I, I appreciate that. I was just going to simply add that those words have been spoken by me. <laughs> Uh, in, in my airplane. So, yes. uh, uh, uh. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, we're sort of starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. Uh, there's a couple more things on this list. Uh, what do we want to talk about here? We want to talk about, uh, uh, developing AI systems for navigating crowded airspace. That's a little terminator right there. Um, yeah, that'll probably take the rest of the day. I know we got, uh, we got a listener who's asking for recommendations on aviation sunglasses. Is there such a thing? Are there sunglasses that are better for aviation than others? Seems yeah, like a kind he, of he, jeb. He, he identified one of them in his in his in his question. Um, uh, polarization. You don't want polarized sunglasses in your cockpit. You can get away with it if you don't have any uh, screens. If you just have dials or, or not even a radio. But if you have uh, any iPad or, or Garmin equipment or Avidyne or anything, any any moving maps, anything like that. They're going to interfere and make the screen unreadable. Uh, right. So you don't want you don't want polarized sunglasses. I always get a kick out of all the vendors at Oshkosh or in other air shows uh, advertising polarized sunglasses. And I just you know come on guys, but uh, there's a sucker born every minute, and I'm sure they you know, they, yeah. they know what they're doing. But uh, um, I don't have any experience wearing prescription sunglasses in the cockpit. Right, that, and that is specifically the question this person had. Right, that is that is specifically the question. Uh, except, I would you know just you. I think you need really need to be comfortable with the tint level. Uh, I I don't think I personally would opt for too dark a tint because you will perhaps obscure or or uh, block um, light from inside the cockpit that you might want to to save or you might want to preserve. So you can read the panel and look outside without having to switch classes. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other thing is uh, you might want, uh, again, you might want to tweak the prescription a little bit. Um, 
Um, you might want to tweak it for distant vision. You might want to tweak it for, for short range vision. I don't know. Depends on, on, uh, uh, how you, how, how your vision is and, and things like that. Uh, but if you're going to specifically use these for flying, um, that's something to consider. Obviously also, um, be, you know, always have a pair of non tinted, non sunglasses, uh, available for when it gets dark or, or, right. you know, you fly into a cloud or, um, you lose the prescription sunglasses. So, right. Steve, any thoughts on sunglasses for pilots? Yeah. Um, I've had a lot of luck, uh, with, I, I hope mentioning brands is okay. I've been flying yeah. Shaden sunglasses mm-hmm. for, Oh, since 07 or so. Okay, okay. And I, I do the retractable gear model. I don't even know if they make them anymore. Um, but the, you know, it is the the sunglasses part will flip up and it's, you know, integrated into the um, uh, into the glasses. The prescription uh-huh. lens is underneath and, you know, just the gray non-polarized lenses. But yeah, I'm, you know, you're coming home from a show or something like that. And, you know, the sun is, you know, it's getting pretty... I think they call it the gloaming. Um, yeah, you want to be able to, you know, flip up those dark glasses, and you really can't take, a, you know, an amount of time to change out your glasses, especially if you got one hand on the stick, one on the throttle, and lead's going to be angry with you if you're goofing around flying in formation. You flip it up, and you're done. The The downside is it's hard to wear a view-limiting device with those because then you're sort of locked into the sunglasses. Right. Um, but that works real well, and... I don't go anywhere unless I've got my regular clear glass glasses. It's if you can, if you're buying or or sunglasses like that. When I first got my shades, they actually had these. Apparently, there are standardized little plastic forms um, that you can take somewhere else to have somebody make your custom make your prescription lenses. Okay, uh, and that way they've got a guide that'll fit into the the frame. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of at high end i confess i do not know what these things cost retail um i, I was joe big shot podcaster at one point um I, i'm sure you guys get you know bentley's and and um and air fryers free free all the time we don't we don't need to talk about that <laughs> okay <laughs> but, all right um yeah uh, all kidding aside uh i absolutely don't mind you naming brands if you think it's a good brand or a bad brand for that matter um and i think you should have just did disclose whether or not um, you ever received any compensation regarding? I did. Yeah, I did. I got, I got greatly reduced. I, I got free sunglasses and I had to pay for my own prescription, yeah. which was as fair cool. a deal as, as yeah. one could ask cool. for. It sounds like you really like them regardless. Yeah. Oh, I do. It's, it's the, I've gone through, I've gone through two watches, um, in the time I've had a, this single pair of sunglasses and like had them reworked. I mean, it's, it's, I, I love them dearly. It's funny that the length of time I'm able to retain a pair of scratch fee free sunglasses is inversely proportional to their cost. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, I've, I've been relatively lucky here the last few years. Uh, I, I bought a couple of pairs, um, and I still have them both and they're still relatively scratch free. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of amazed. Yeah. Finally, uh, we got this, uh, I don't even know how to talk about this story. Um, but everybody's talking about the guy who stole the King Air and flew it around while apparently threatening to crash it into a Walmart, um, which, <laughs> see the badge, nobody was who, hurt. Who, who among yeah, us? Yeah, I know, right? who among us, exactly. Uh, you know, I mean, we can, we can joke around this a little bit because nobody yeah, was hurt, yeah. so, thankfully, yeah. all right? Yeah. Um, he did not crash it into a Walmart. Um, and... Uh, um, but I think if he was going to crash an airplane, no, see, I was going to make an anti-Walmart joke and I'm not going to, cause I would do it badly. I already did that. See, and you didn't, it just slid right. By I know. It, right. So. Who am I? I, was, I was going to question it by saying it's the most Florida thing ever done in Mississippi. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yep. There we go. That's the, that's, yes. that's the lead right there. That's, that's, that's the episode title. Yeah. Right. There we go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to crash a King Air into the Walmart. Yeah. Yeah, not, right. Yeah, yeah. Not, not just one of the Walmarts, the Walmart. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is like, uh, okay. So, uh, 
you know, crazy person um, managed to die. Well, care, careful, you know, you know, you're calling this guy crazy. Uh, we don't know that he was crazy. He, he stole it. You know, uh, he could have been angry. He's a, <laughs> the key here is that he did not have a pilot's license. Now, clearly, he well, knew there's a, there's a drawback. Yeah, right there. he did not. Clearly, he knew a little bit about flying an airplane. Although, you know, it's like if I was going to steal, yeah, flying a twin because a King Air is not simply a twin; it's a turbine twin, right? So it's I guess that checklist. makes it a little easier to fly to it's, operate. It's got, it's got a it's got a checklist. You just run down the yeah, checklist. Yeah, I know. And and, and, and because this happens. is lights lights light up and engines turn. And, and apparently this guy was a ramp worker, so he probably he may even have had a chance to taxi this thing from time to time. So there's that. But uh, it bugged me. It just it bugged me. This is my bias. It bugged me that a lot of the stories referred to this guy as a pilot. All right, and I I really really objected to them referring to him as a pilot. He wasn't a pilot. All right. Um, now you can get into the whole question of the fact is he knew how to fly the airplane, so doesn't that make him a pilot? All right, but you know a lot of us, you know, well, filled out the forms and got the you know, got the certificates. This happens periodically with with different airplanes and different manufacturers and all the, and different outcomes. I would I would add, but I I, I you know, a lot of people are missing a bat, and this is just the perennial response here. Textron really needs to start advertising their King Air. It's so easy to fly. You know, you <laughs> oh, no. Yep, that's right. We have talked about that in the past. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, we'll yes. see whether they hear us this time. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's great to get together and chat. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's always fun to hang out here in the, in the virtual hangar. Uh, Steve Tupper, how you doing? Steve is, a, Steve is all the things. I did not prepare a blurb for Steve. Full confession, full disclosure here. All right, so I don't have some clever words about about who and what Steve is, but but he's told you a lot of this. He's he's CAP. He's an air boss. He's a uh, uh, he's a uh, member of the Tuskegee Airmen uh, flying team. Uh, he uh, what else do you do, Steve? Give me a, give me the short version here. Uh, you want to tell us a little about what your day job, or is that something that's not relevant here? Do you still have a day job? I mean, you know, after well, all this stuff going on, that that's the issue because. You know, I'm I, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I recently did the Hudsucker proxy run down the conference table and through the 36 floor window trailing office supplies, um, and uh, started my own firm. I'm also a W two employee at a very fine uh, software company that is uh, uh, based in Birmingham, Michigan, which is what all the surrounding communities like Bloomfield Hills use as their downtown. Um, so you know, I, I basically do four kinds of law. I do aviation transactions. Um, privacy, data security, the, the GDPR about which you have heard so much, that, that's right up my alley. Um, also, IT contracting and some, you know, corporate work, M&A, stuff like that. Great. What's your, so it is, what is your firm I, called and or is it on the internet? Uh, it is tupperfirm.com. Um, I, I put up the website and then immediately had, not immediately, but far quicker than I thought, um, uh, enough clients showed up to make it so that the four days a week that, uh, aren't devoted to my, my W2 gig, um, are, you know, filled up to the point where it made no sense to, uh, update the, the website much more, mm-hmm. okay. but, uh, but it gives a, a pretty good indication. Cool. I, I went to a small liberal arts school where they, they basically told you before there was such a thing as a blurb to make of yourself a walking blurb, make of yourself the 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 um, uh, Renaissance person of the time in which you live. And very good, very good. They, well, I, I don't know who the other couple of people were that took that seriously, but you mentioned earlier the uh, the uh, the air show that you do. Uh, does the is there a, a the Tuskegee thing have a uh, website of some sort? Um, it will be on. We are we're going to do our own website. I don't know what the URL is going to be. Probably TuskegeeAirShow.com. Okay. Uh, but the sponsoring organization is the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy, and uh, the name of the event is River Days, mm-hmm. and I think it's like riverdaysfestival.org. Um, it's easy to find. Um, the n- Not their fault. Uh, I mean, they have like 114 food trucks last time they, they held this, so I could see somebody getting more excited about that. Cool. But I'm hoping the air show will be more front and center on that. But it's, it's not hard to find, and... It's also not hard to get invited to the VIP event back at uh, City Airport at 4 o'clock on, on the Friday of the performance weekend. Ooh, cool, cool. And finally, are you on Twitter, or do you have some sort of personal uh, web presence? Uh, I am. Uh, uh, best place, on, uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter, uh, Stephen Force. 
S-T-E-P-H-E-N-F-O-R-C-E. There's a story behind that that's way too long for the remaining time, but it's cool. Yep. And, um, yeah, that's that's, well, that's pretty much where I exist these great. days. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. We'll have you back again soon, I hope. Absolutely. I hope, I hope you oh, please haven't do. come to your senses yet and that uh, you'll, you'll come back again. <laughs> you'll come back again. And that's Jeb Birdside. Jeb is a, a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Um, he's also a regular contributor to other web aviation publications. Excuse me. Online, you can find Jeb's work at AviationSafetyMagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as AvSafetyMag. You can also find his work at AEA.net, AvWeb.com, and on Twitter, he is Burnside J. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places with the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter, Jack Hodgson, YouTube, Jack Hodgson, Patreon, Jack Hodgson. You can find my eBooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section. And you can sign up for my the Around the Field email newsletter by going to AroundTheField.net. And that's it for today. Uh, let's see now. Thanks, everybody, for taking time to listen. If possible, please become a supporter of this podcast at patreon.com slash uncontrolledairspace, or you can make a PayPal tip jar donation care of the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And we'd love to hear from you, so you can also use that same email address, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com, to send us your comments and questions. So anyways, that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And remember, never let the airplane get somewhere where your mind hasn't gotten to five minutes earlier.